Hi, welcome to today's CNAS podcast. My name is Anthony Cho, and I'm here today talking to Harry Kresa, the Basevich Fellow here at CNAS, about his latest report on Chinese overseas influence operations. Harry's written a new report uh, called Under Pressure, which examines a lot of these aspects. Uh, Harry, welcome. Thank you, Anthony. So tell us a little bit about this report. Um, how, how is China influencing things overseas? Well, we've been getting more and more interested at how China's looking at the societies of its rivals and its competitors, many of them liberal democracies, and finding ways to subvert the traditional strengths that we think of with liberal democracies. So what we're thinking of here is kind of similar to China's approach to military competition, where they know that they can't hope to compete directly with, say, China, with uh, the United States' Navy, its aircraft carriers, etc. And so it invests asymmetrically by developing cheap, long-range anti-ship, uh, anti-ship missiles. So they don't have to match the United States to still achieve a strategic end. They just have to be strong enough to undermine the United States' uh, strengths in this area. And we find that Chinese, uh, Ch- the, the Chinese government is uh, adopting a similar approach in p- the power of liberal democracies, politics, and cultural example. China doesn't have to compete with the cultural power of liberal democracies in its uh, various rivals and competitors, but it just has to be strong enough to find paths to weaken and undermine those strengths. And that's primarily in the areas of politics, academia, and private enterprise. So the idea is that eventually, by influencing and manipulating the voters and stakeholders of these free societies, China will be able to uh, influence policy outcomes that are more advantageous to Beijing's interests. Great. Well, let's start there and talk a little bit first about politics. Um, What is China doing writ large politically? And then are there any examples you'd like to highlight, Um, something that might be alarming to some of the listeners? Absolutely. China is uh, trying to find any entry point it can into a lot of these open societies to influence politics and and the opinion of voters and in particular mobilize uh, specific leaders and opinion makers to see things in a more uh, uh, sympathetic light to, to China. Uh, one notable example is the case of a former Australian senator, Sam Dastyari. Uh, this, uh, this fellow, Mr. Dastyari, was a, a young progressive with uh, outsider credibility who was an exciting new figure in Australian politics uh, who was soon overcome with financial ties to suspected uh, Chinese interests. Uh, in particular, there was a Chinese billionaire by the name of uh, Huang Xiangmo who took a particular interest in uh, Senator Dastyari and uh, used uh, lax Australian campaign finance, finance laws to help Dastyari cover tens of thousands of legal bills that he had come upon. What about academia? Um, we've obviously heard a lot of rumblings about uh, Confucius Institutes, but can you disentangle that for, for us a little bit? Absolutely. So one of the uh, points of intersection between Western academia and Chinese academia is field research. And we're finding more and more that uh, that, uh, scholars from Western countries, from more liberal open countries, are having a harder time getting the visas required to do field research in China if they have previously done research on topics that China does not necessarily approve of. There's growing anecdotal evidence that scholars, for instance, who uh, have researched Xinjiang province and the uh, Uyghur peoples there, which are associated with some political unease in Beijing, uh, have a hard time getting uh, granted entry visas to return to China and continue their, their research. But 
uh, as you mentioned, I think one of the growing concerns is uh, Chinese uh, Chinese academic influence on the uh, on the domestic academia of liberal democracies, and in particular, in the form of Confucius Institutes. Uh, Confucius Institutes are something like a uh, a Chinese department in a box where. Uh, a university can choose to host a uh, semi-independent academic department that does Chinese language and cultural instruction at no cost to the university because the Chinese Ministry of Education is helping subsidize it. What uh, is not often talked about is the strings that come attached with those institutes, which are one, frequently uh, sh shrouded in secrecy, uh, but two, are thought to widely uh, include restrictions on the curriculum that can be taught in these uh, Confucianist institutes and control over hiring. And so you have what's uh, essentially a, a directly funded by the Chinese government soft power initiative uh, on university campuses that need both uh, compelling academic uh, opportunities for their students, but also are facing an era of declining budgets. Interesting. And lastly, what about private enterprise? Um, I assume this means the uh, a large amount of Chinese business interests everywhere, but is there a way that it's being used? Well, I think that uh, one of the most subversive ways that uh, Chinese, uh, Chinese interfacing with American private enterprise is playing out is in how they're uh, using coercive regulations and laws to alter the sort of presumed value set of a lot of these private uh, private companies, especially companies that have been vocal about their values. Thinking particularly about uh, you know American tech giants such as Apple and Google, who uh, have been vocal about their values and uh, how they see themselves as uh, quintessentially uh, American companies, but. It's uh, but the where the rubber hits the road in the Chinese market can frequently result in uh, something of a change. Um, I, for w example, Google a few years ago made uh, much hay about leaving China. Uh, they decided they were not able to, uh, in good conscience, continue working under a, a censorship regime, and decided that they were going to seek their their fortunes elsewhere. Uh, of course, they're now uh, putting a, a toe back in the waters, trying to find a way back into China. Uh, Google CEO Sundar Pichai was just at a, a conference in China on uh, China's uh, centrally controlled internet, and it was the first uh, appearance by a Google CEO there, and was seen as something of a, a, an attempt at an olive branch. Another good example here is Apple, which uh, in the United States cultivates a reputation as being a very privacy-minded uh, organization, one where uh, they would fight against FBI efforts to get uh, the uh, phone unlocked of a uh, suspected terrorist, but they haven't been putting up as many uh, fights when asked by the Chinese government to uh, remove applications from their store that lets consumers uh, access the uh, internet outside the Great Firewall of China, for example. Interesting. It almost seems like there's two separate uh, sets of rules. Indeed. Well, given all of these uh, alarming trends, and it seems like we're kind of piecing together the forensic map of what's actually happening, um, what can be done without giving away the whole report? Is there something you'd like to highlight um, that can be done? I think that uh, the, the overall theme I'd want to uh, get at here is that sunlight is the best disin disinfectant. 
Uh, I think it's important that uh, countries take a hard look at, at uh, the laws regulating politics and how influence can be peddled in it. Uh, Australia, as a result of Senator uh, Dastyari's story, is undergoing a comprehensive discussion right now about the influence of foreign money in their politics, and it looks like the, they're going to be undertaking some significant reforms there. Uh, here in the United States, we have relatively strict campaign finance laws, but uh, our laws around uh, foreign funding for uh, academia, for lobbying organizations, and for think tanks like our own are relatively lax. And I think we need to take a harder look at that. Uh, in private enterprise, uh, I don't think the, that it's the government's place to tell companies what their business models should be in the, the modern era. But I think that uh, fundamentally, citizens of free and open societies are going to need to take a sense of stakeholdership for the societies that they live in. We see that companies are uh, compromising their values for uh, overseas consumers, uh, there's no reason to think they won't be compromising their values at some point for domestic consumers as well. Great. Uh, just to kind of conclude, there's been a lot of talk about China being conflated with the Communist Party of China, being conflated with the Chinese people. And you and I actually wrote on this a couple months ago in Foreign Affairs about the ethnocentric foreign policy of China. Um, what's what do you what do you see there going forward? Um, there's been more talk about the Chinese people. Xi Jinping just mentioned the Chinese, the ethnic Chinese uh, sons and daughters. Um, about when talking about policy reform and state reform, where do you see that going? You know, Anthony, and, and I think that this is going to be an era that liberal democracies are going to have to be very, uh, very careful and thoughtful about. Uh, one of the greatest strengths of liberal democracies is their inclusiveness. And in particular, I think in the United States, the idea that uh, citizenship does not coincide with ethnicity. And I think that we are going to be tempted by uh, the Chinese Communist Party's uh, efforts to mobilize the broader Chinese diaspora to regress in that regard. Uh, as China invests more money in trying to mobilize a statist identity uh, centered on Beijing among its overseas diaspora, uh, I think there's significant danger that the United States and, and, other, and other allies and partners will be tempted to start thinking of uh, anyone as, uh, start thinking of members of the Chinese diaspora, of Chinese immigrants as potential uh, security risks. And I think that's dangerous. We need to be thinking about those kinds of efforts at mobilization as an attack on American citizens, not as an attempt to subvert uh, people who aren't quite American citizens. Great. Well, that's it for us. Thanks for listening, and um, we hope you tune in again for the next CNAS podcast. Thank you.